hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson. Thanks for joining me on this week's uh, I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson podcast. Really excited to have my guest today. You know how I am whenever I get fellow Baylor Bears on the podcast. We have we have to go through, you know, the motions of, you know, Sikkim Bears and everything else. <laughs> but uh, there we go. But uh, today's guest is, is John Mabry. And John is, a, as I said, a fellow bear. John's got an incredible story. Uh, and, and I don't want to dilute it by me trying to just summarize it. So we're going to just jump in. John, welcome to I Don't Care. Hey, thank you. I don't care to be here. I really don't care to be here today. <laughs> you know, and I'm glad you said that because every now and then I have to explain the whole thing, you know, the title. Uh, for those of you who've been with me for almost four years, hard to believe people have listened to me for four years. But the whole I don't care name came from uh, uh, one of the guys at Market Scale who produces uh, the podcast. He was in my youth group many years ago, so I feel really old. But he's the one that got me to market scale. We started talking about this whole thing and uh, we're trying to figure out a name. And so Ben, one night he, he calls me real late. He's like, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. He goes, Kevin, I've got the name. I said, what is it, Ben? He goes, I don't care. I'm like, okay, why? He goes, well, you work in a hospital, but you don't provide direct patient care. I said, I love it. And, and so it's, it, it's gone from there. You know, some people are kind of, you know, kind of look at me strangely every now and then. But when I explain it, they go, oh, I get it. So thanks, John, for giving me a little lead in to remind people why it's called I Don't Care. So I do care. Yeah, I, I, I do care before. as well. <laughs> so, you know, like yeah, yeah. John's story is amazing. John, you know, you're a Baylor Bear, grew up in San Antonio. Been reading a ton of stuff about you. You got a great family. Talk about growing up. Yeah, so I grew up uh, had a had a you know great uh, great upbringing, great uh, family support. Uh, my parents, so my parents met at Baylor, um, and I think they got married in nineteen seventy something like that. And uh, so yeah, so growing up, going to Baylor games, going to homecomings. You know, uh, for people who don't know, Baylor had the the original homecoming. Uh, it was first homecoming in the nation of any school in the nation. So uh, that's something that we're proud about. And uh, so I grew up going to the, you know, going to the games and the parades and all that stuff. And so it just, it was a natural fit for me. Uh, it was a great um, environment for me uh, to go ahead and go up to Baylor as well. But uh, so I grew up. Hey, my, I, didn't, my... I didn't have to interrupt you. I got to ask, uh, you know, since we were both fraternity guys at Baylor, you were in another fraternity. You wasn't even here when I was here. I'm so old. So do you ever uh, perform and sing or pigskin? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I did three of them. Did nice. three and uh, one of them, we got second place. That was huge. That was huge for us to get second place. Yeah, that was a, a really because it's a lot of a lot of work for those that don't know. It's just kind of a song and dance kind of thing we do at Baylor. It's a tradition. My dad did it when he was there. With the, and so um, it was. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of work to put together a bunch of fraternity guys who don't really care about singing and dancing uh, and putting costumes on and makeup yeah. and making us do it. And you know, hey, got to own it and, and uh, had a had a good time doing that. It was a good experience. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm like you. I did three. And I have the proud distinction that I am the last scene chairman that my fraternity had 41 years ago because I'm not going to go into it. It still causes me a lot of pain. We did we missed pigskin by a couple of points. The guy, you know, I, I kind of dipped in our social budget. I wasn't real popular there for a little bit. So we decided to throw all those resources into having a big party every year after that. So they've continued <laughs> that tradition. Uh, but anyway, sorry to interrupt, but I did want to check. I figured you were a pigskin guy too. 
Yeah, yeah, sure was. So, um, yeah, uh, and I had a, it was me and my older brother. My older brother was the smart one. I was the uh, the class clown, the outgoing, you know, crazy kind of ADD kind of one. Um, and my brother, he chose University of Texas, so he's kind of the oddball out. Went to went to Austin, but but really excelled at the the business school there at University of Texas. He went on to get his MBA at Georgetown, and um, you know, and I got a crazy story about how he passed. We can cover that in a little bit. So, you know, growing up in a in a good you know, supportive family environment, what um, I never realized uh, that I was going to turn into a raging uh, alcoholic and addict that I became, and um, we can you know touch on that in a little bit as well. But um, Baylor was a, a great environment for me, and I had a really good experience there. Uh, so until my senior year, so um, senior year, I got a full ride scholarship um, from the athletic video staff. So it's communications major, and I found there's this nice little niche where they uh, pay guys to film uh, games and practices for the football team and basketball teams, and and so I got I got the same scholarship the football players got my senior year. And I got a monthly stipend as well on top of, you know, meal plan, books, fees, everything paid for. It was a great setup. And so um, I was uh, my second semester there in March of 2000. I set up this cruise, this uh, booze cruise thing for a bunch of us to uh, about 35 of us went out of New Orleans for this cruise. And we were coming back from New Orleans um, and this unthinkable happened. And again, at the time I was full ride scholarship, I was dating a cheerleader who was our fraternity sweetheart and I was social care of our fraternity. Uh, grades were fine, life was manageable and uh, unthinkable happened. A tire blows out in a friend's car uh, outside of uh, on I-45 outside of Houston. And we rolled witness reports anytime, anywhere between six and 12 times. Um, we just just rolled across I-45, across the median, across the other side, missed oncoming traffic into a, basically a field or on the side of the road. and. I mean, helicopters, uh, helicopter land, it, uh, had to cut my friend out of the car, uh, take her away. She passed away, unfortunately, before they got her to the hospital. Her name was Ashley Furman. She was a pie fi there in the sorority world at Baylor. Sweet, sweet gal. Still keep up with her mom and, and brother and um, dear, dear uh, friends of ours now. And so there's two other people in the car, relatively minor injuries. My legs got out the window. And so for your, for the, for your visual folks, uh, I ended up having about 14 procedures that year and opted to have my leg amputated uh, below the knee in uh, March of 2001. So a year after the accident. And I went out to just kind of show everybody I was fine and uh, ended up uh, walking the stage to get my diploma on a temporary prosthetic six weeks after my amputation. And uh, I didn't slow down for about two decades. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of kept going and um, running my life kind of on my own will and uh, didn't turn out so well for me. So uh, I'm happy to jump into that if you yeah, if ready. Yeah. And, and so, you know, after all that happened, uh, you go to California. And yeah. So graduated yeah, did Baylor. You go, did you go, did you go to California to go to school or was it for a job? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I decided to go out to San Diego state for a master's in counseling. And I never really saw myself as a counselor per se, you know, sit people down and, you know, on the couch and, having conversations, but I felt like it was part of my journey. People helped me through that year of surgeries and instability in my life. And so I thought, you know, I want to be able to help other people. And so uh, San Diego State had a uh, one of the top programs for uh, people with disabilities getting back to work. And so uh, since I didn't grow up around disabilities and didn't really know a whole lot, it was a great education for me to learn about blindness and, you know, people with all kinds of different, uh, you know, issues that they deal with. And so as I was wrapping that up, I'd gotten married to a girl I knew at Baylor. She moved out to San Diego. 
I'm wrapping up grad school and my cousin's an actor in LA and he calls me up and says, Hey, I'm going to get my leg blown off in this TV show. Can you take me through what you went through in your car wreck? Help me connect with my character. He said, it's the biggest role I've had to date. It was on FX. It was a series called Over There. It just lasted one season on FX, but it was the first show about the war to come out while the war was, while the war was still going on. So it was kind of controversial. It was just too much too soon. And apparently it was, the audience was kind of like, we're not ready for this yet. <clears throat> But it was a, an incredible experience where uh, I walked him through emotionally what I went through in my car wreck. And I said, what are they going to do for your leg shots? And next thing you know, directors and producers wanted to see me and we have a similar look and build. They hired me on for, his, for as a technical consultant. So uh, next thing you know, we're in People Magazine and Access Hollywood and uh, doing all this national press of two cousins working together on a show about, you know, an amputee coming back from war. And uh, and I work with a group called the Challenged Athletes Foundation. I still still to this day raise money to get people with physical disabilities access to sports. So I was able to promote, promote Challenged Athletes Foundation and raise okay. raise a bunch of money um, through some Hollywood connections there. And so uh, yeah, I just kind of stumbled, kind of stumbled into it. I got my foot in the door uh, with my so to speak. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean that that's fascinating. And I gotta I gotta admit this. I have a real love for sophomore humor and sophomoric movies and you actually were in one of my favorite movies super bad and I actually, <laughs> I actually watched it about two or three weeks ago again looking specifically for you and i saw you and loved it and yeah. I mean, your, your your shot it was it was fantastic it was just fantastic yeah, you know, somebody just sent me a, a deal on Instagram the other day that uh, it said experts uh, labeled uh, "Super Bad" as the funniest movie ever, and you know, it's it's all subjective. It's but, pretty uh, close. All right, but, you know, I'll take it. But uh, so, so was it just wild? You know, being in being in Hollywood after you know growing up in Central Texas, going to Baylor, and then, man, now you're in the movies. That's it was, crazy. yeah, and you know, people go out to Hollywood to do the LA thing, do the LA scene. I just kind of, and it takes some time to get into it. Well, my, I just kind of rode on my cousin's coattail. Um, and so I got kind of plugged in. He was dating right when I'm right when I was out there, he was dating uh, Ashley Simpson for a couple of years. And so I know like Jessica Simpson and her parents and you know, they got the Dallas, you know, Texas connection. So been over to like, you know, the Simpsons house and uh, some events with them. Um, then he was dating Kaylee Cuoco, who's the the lead on Big Bang Theory. And everybody knows Kaylee. So next thing you know, I'm hanging out with these people getting uh, licked in a cab by Andy Dick on New Year's one year. Um, been bowling at Phil Jackson's house. We showed up at Phil Jackson's house one night. I didn't even know where we were. Was wow. just, I was just kind of going along with the crowd. And, 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 and so were you married during this time? What did you? I wife? was, yes. Was yeah, wife? I was married. Was going with you or not? He was, of... yes, yes. Yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. You know, even though I was married um, and she was along for the ride for some of this stuff, I mean, just kind of drug her to LA kicking and screaming. She didn't want to be there. And I, I was caught up in my addiction. So yeah, let's get into that. So after my car wreck, you know, got, got the painkillers and the alcohol kind of went to town with that. Then, then I, you know, uh, PTSD, uh, ADHD, I was diagnosed ADHD and depression, anxiety, all this stuff. So I'm on a, a bunch of medications at this point, And I started abusing, uh, abusing as much as I could really just to numb and all. I uh, didn't realize how bad I was. I was trying to accomplish things. Let me go show everybody I'm fine. And, um, you know, it just, I, things just progressively got worse. And being in the LA party scene wasn't any, you know, it wasn't helpful at all. Um, and I got to the pinnacle. So we uh, made it so that I got to the Playboy Mansion uh, one night for, for, a, for, after a premiere, like movie premiere for, 
uh, one of Sandler's films. I forget what it was, but went to the after party was at the Playboy Mansion. And uh, so we got to hear him getting the like, you know, getting photos with Adam Sandler, and Bruce Willis and Emma Stone and all these people are there. And and I thought I had arrived. You know, what what kid doesn't want to go to Hollywood, get blown up on Hollywood sets and oh, Playboy Mansion sign me up and I'm here. I'm doing it. And I was absolutely miserable, absolutely just lonely, depressed, isolated, trying to I wanted everybody to like me. And I didn't even I, I hated myself, you know, so. Um, it was just a, just a short time after that Playboy Mansion experience, I got a call that my brother, um, didn't show up for work one day and he worked, uh, worked in, lived in Beverly Hills and, uh, went over to his house and literally kicked in his bedroom door and, uh, he had been uh, dead for three days from a, from an accidental overdose. And, you know, I, 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 it took me years to be able to say that out loud and for our family to be able to talk about it because we didn't want anybody to know. And that's, and that's, I think what a lot of people don't get help for either mental health or addiction issues, you're, you know, compulsive um you know uh issues that they have in their life they just don't they don't want anybody to know and i'm here to tell you like you've got to talk guys you've got something that's eating your lunch you got something that you're struggling with you got to reach out for help and that that's what my platform is all about now is john mabry connects is is uh, getting people connected reconnected to themselves and to others yeah, yeah i mean um, you know you, you've hit on a really really good point john because you know in healthcare, you know like it, if you have a heart attack or if you have cancer, man, you're, you're telling people that. Yeah. And people are more than happy to help you. You get uh, meal trains, you get meal trains set up. Yeah. People yeah. come to the hospital, they come to their house, they're giving right. you gifts. Oh, you're hurting? Let us help you. Yeah. But when it comes to mental health, addiction, loneliness, yeah. anxiety, we keep it quiet and nobody's yeah. available to help. And But, but you also help. said something too. I mean, you know, you're like me. You came from great family. And, and, you know, one of the big things in our family was don't embarrass the family. Right. And, and so you, you kind of, you kind of kept some stuff like that hidden and, and mental health, you know, fortunately people are more willing to talk about it now, but it's still that, that silent or hidden, hidden diagnosis for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. And if I don't get a chance to plug it later, that's, that's kind of what I do today is, is, uh, is coaching, you know, life coaching. Helping yeah. people get helping people, you know, if they don't, if they don't have somebody to talk to, they can reach out to me and I can be, you know, uh, I have, you know, my master's in counseling 20 plus years in and out of rehab centers and counseling myself and therapies and, and a lot of stuff. I mean, I've, I've been to, I've, I've been spiritual retreats in Bali and done all kinds of, you know, crazy things. And, and really what I came back to, to be honest with you, is coming back to Christ, coming back to, um, I, I did all these, you know, types of recovery programs and recovery type things. And. I kept relapsing over the years, kept relapsing and relapsing. And uh, about three years ago, had a, another relapse and finally just said, I, I got to do something different. This AA 12 step stuff just isn't enough for me. So I joined Celebrate Recovery and Celebrate Recovery is a Christ centered 12 step group all across the country. And it's for any hurt, habit or hang up. So we all have some hurt, habit or hang up in our lives. Right. So it's not about alcoholism or Narcotics Anonymous for NAA. It's if you have struggled with anger, if you struggle with depression, if you struggle with food, you know, compulsive uh, spending, you know, binging on Netflix, if you're addicted to your phone, you can come to a Celebrate Recovery meeting across the country. You can search Man, Celebrate Recovery, you know, online. And that's been a huge, huge help for me over the last few years is, is getting back into a Christ Center 12 step group. That's so. very cool. Hey, you know, I, I've had I've had a number of my friends go through rehab and kind of like you. You know, go in, they're okay for a while, they come out, you know, kind of that bounce back and forth. Why? Why does that happen? For me, it is, um, so 
the 12 step programs are set up to give you a spiritual experience. The whole point of like, let's say AA, it's 85, 88 years old, something like that. And it's specifically designed the 12 steps are to have, have you get, have a spiritual experience with a higher power of your understanding. So, uh, the goal is to connect with the God that you, that you, that you believe in. And so that's, I think where I was kind of off with the AA is it's like, well, I, I kind of have crisis away and that's how I was brought up. But AA has worked for millions of people all across the world. If that works for you, and I and I still attend AA meetings as well. So, and I, I take AA meetings uh, on a weekly basis to a treatment center. So I'm still involved in AA and still believe in it. But it just wasn't enough for me. But I think for me, going back out was always taking back control of my life. Like I, I describe, it, I wake up every single day with a hole in my soul, and my God designed me every single day to wake up with a hole in my soul, and I'm going to fill it. I need to fill it with Him. I need to fill it with goodness. I need to fill it with positive things. Um. But if I choose to wake up one day and I start filling it with negative thoughts, with bad thoughts, with the, you know, the depression, the anxiety, the, the worry, those kinds of things get back in. I'm not working a program. I'm not working uh, on, on my stuff. Then I'm going to take back control of my life. And when I take back control of my life, I run it into the ground. And uh, it's been proved over and over again. I went through five rehab centers in seven years, uh, three sober living homes. I, I went from Playboy Mansion to living in a double wide mold infested trailer on the banks of the Cumberland River here in Nashville area. Uh, with a roommate named Beaver for a while, you know, I and mean, that's where that's where my addiction is going to take me is, is uh, far away from from people who care about me because I've, I've run them out of my life. And um, so, yeah, it's it's not not an easy road. But I you know, I do want to encourage if there's anybody out there listening that has struggled before and relapsed before, it's okay. Get back up, just get back up. And um, I, I almost didn't want to get back up this last time three years ago. I put on 50 pounds, put on over 50 pounds. I was more depressed than I'd ever been in my life with all the tools and all the resources I had. I was isolating. Um, I lost my wife, my house, my kids, and my job, and COVID hit. And, after, and that was a relapse led to all that. And living on my own for the first time in my life. And it was just, uh, I didn't know if I had a, another comeback in me. And I, I called a friend of mine. He's a member of SEAL Team 6. So he lives here in the Nashville area close to me. He was, he was one of the guys that took down bin Laden, <clears throat> Navy SEAL for 20 years. And so if you're struggling... <laughs> Get somebody on your team that's going to challenge you. It's not just going to tell you, you know, because I would always go to like family members or friends that are just going to tell me like, oh, you're okay. Everything's going to be all right. And I was like, no, I need to call somebody that's going to like get down and dirty with me. And so I called this guy who took down Bin Laden, you know, with, with SEAL Team 6 and called him over to my house. And and uh, he kind of whipped me into shape. And, and he goes, dude, everybody loves a comeback story. And I said, man, I came back after my car accident, my amputation. I came back after my brother's death. I said, I don't know if I can come back from this divorce, man. And I'm here to tell you I'm, I'm – by the grace of God, I'm, I'm healthier than I've ever been before, yeah. physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And um, uh, it's, yeah, it's because of the grace of God. That's, that's very cool. I was, I was going to ask about your family, you know, if, if they were able to survive, uh, you know, uh, your, your trials. Yeah. So like my parents, you mean? Well, I mean, like or, your wife, your kids. and, all, and So, all. so I live two miles uh, from my kids. Okay. So uh, we have a, you know, uh, amicable relationship with my ex-wife. I mean, I've caused a lot of damage and hurt her a lot. And so, um, but we work together, we co-parent nicely for the, for the, you know, sake of the kids and I get to see them. So I, I started out like four hours supervised. I mean, that's how it was four hour supervised visits. And I kind of had a, a phase up plan based on my sobriety. And when I relapsed three years ago, I had to start all over again. I had, I couldn't travel with my kids for two years. Um, I, the max I could have is 24 hours a week. Um, and so I'm grateful today where I get them uh, every other weekend and every Wednesday night. And then yeah. the summer I got to travel with them this summer. That's cool. And so, yeah. You know, so how old are they now? Uh, my boys are 15 and 12 and my daughter is uh, nine. 
Excellent. Man, yeah, that's great. So I'm, I'm in, in, involved with their, in their lives as I'm, you know, able to be show up at all their events and stuff, things, things that I w- wouldn't have done in, in my past life, you know, yeah. kind of, I, I would look to take care of me first and foremost. And so I'm grateful today to be able to be available for them. And Man, be present that, in their lives. that's, that's really great to hear. You know, one of my early guests on, I don't care, was a guy that played football at Baylor, Randy Grimes. And okay. I don't know if you've met Randy. If you haven't, man, you got to meet him because Randy played played ball here and played for Tampa Bay for 10 years. And kind of a similar story to you, you know, uh, was was in addiction, deep into addiction for 20 years. And uh, uh, I knew his wife pretty well at Baylor, and she was just a, an incredible woman and stood by him. And, you know, now he works with athletes and others, uh, kind of similar things to what you do. And, and God bless you for doing that. That's amazing. Okay, I, I got to talk to you about a couple of things. Man, you got fired by Dave Ramsey. What the heck, man? That's rough. Yeah. That's yeah. rough. Well, yeah, so that's a crazy story. So when we moved here, it was like, get out of L.A. My brother passed away, right? Just yeah. get out of L.A. We decided to move here to raise a family. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to work for Dave Ramsey. You know, and, and a lot of times, us, us alcoholics and addicts, like we're, we're a creative bunch. We are a, a smart bunch. A lot of times the drugs and the alcohol get in the way and, and uh, you know, hinder our, our progress in life. But I had a goal set. I'm going to work for Dave Ramsey. And it was a seven interview process. So back then there was seven interviews over the course of three and a half months. And it was like one interview was you had to go out with my spouse, had to go out with my immediate boss and, and his spouse and to do kind of a spousal interview. Like, is this family unit going to be good in our organization? And, and the reason Dave does this, he's, he tells us in his entree leadership training program, because every time I hire a crazy person, I put in a new layer, layer of uh, interviewing because I hate hiring crazy people. He goes, they take away my resources. You know, they, they waste my time. They take away from our vision here. And I had everybody fooled, man. I had a lot of acting classes under my belt. I've been acting my whole life, acting like I was fine my whole life. And uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, unfortunately, I was, um, yeah, not healthy there and was making phone calls, uh, selling live event tickets on his, you know, on his dime. Uh, while while uh, drinking vodka at my desk and popping pain pills, and um, you know that's how bad it, you know that's how bad my addiction got, and I hadn't 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 been addressed yet. So God did put him in my life where he's somebody I looked up to and respected. I got called into his office and he said, "Look, I, you obviously have some some you know challenges in front of you," and he goes, "I can't help you with those, but what I can do is I can let you go, so you can go get the help that you need." Yeah. And so that was the first time I raised my hand and said I needed help, and so that he he helped start my road to recovery back in 2011. Man, that's it's been pretty lots ups and downs along the way, but he, he got me started, and I am grateful for that. That's that's an incredible story. Yeah, uh, what, I was reading uh, more stuff about you, and and again, you know, when you were in therapy, you're you're talking to them, and, and you know, you're talking about a great life that you had, and they kept digging in and digging in. Your your ear surgeries, and yeah. What tr- they the therapist felt that's what triggered a lot of this. Yeah. So, man, I learned again, I've exhausted a lot of time and money and resources into various therapies. One of them was going to a trauma specific therapist. And yeah, and I told her this is a phone consultation. Didn't even see her in person. And I said, well, I lost my leg in a car wreck and a friend passed away and I found my brother dead from an overdose. And she was like, OK, interesting. She goes, what happened to you as a kid? I was like, what? Like, huh? She goes, I'm curious to know what happened to you as a child, because what happened to you as a kid set the tone for how you reacted to these other things. I'm like, nothing happened. I had a great childhood. She goes, I'm sure. She goes, I'm sure it's great. What happened? I said, you know, the only thing you think of is I had some ear surgeries as a kid, but that wasn't a big deal. It was a long time ago. And uh, she goes, 
you know what, when you come in, let's start with that. If you, if you could just have an open mind to let's start with, let's start, let's start there. I was like, all right. So over the course of several sessions, I'm sitting down, she gives me crayons and pieces of paper and I'm drawing, she, what do you remember from your childhood? And I'm drawing these little stick figures and what came out of that, it's called a graphic narrative is, is I, I put down on paper that I was terrified as a child because I had six ear surgeries. Um, I left ear had a prosthetic bones put in, I had to fly out of state for that and a transplanted eardrum. And so as a child, I, I, I internalized that as I'm broken, I'm unfixable, I'm defective, something's wrong with me. I'm not right. So although I had all the love and support around me, I was like internally, I internally, you know, somebody else could go through the exact same experience and have a different, totally different experience. But I, I internalize it as I'm broken. Something's wrong with me. And so I just carried that with me. And that's where I became the class clown. Cause she goes, it's funny. My senior year in high school at prom, I was named class clown, most outgoing, most school spirited and best personality. But the therapist goes, you feel insecure. You're not good enough. You're broken. You're unfixable. And I was like, oh, that's why I created this character, Man. this funny guy. Yeah, it was a character to help you to, to cope, I guess. To mask right? the, 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 the fear I felt as a kid, and I just didn't huh. feel right. I didn't feel good enough. And so if somebody's out there, if that resonates with you, if there's something that goes back to your childhood, that you know, there's so much of our childhood uh, we you know carry into our adult life that we don't ever go back and, and look at. And um, I found it's vitally important for me to overcome some of the uh, challenges that I've had my whole life was to go back and look at early childhood trauma. Man, that's interesting, you know, wow. and that just shows, you know, everybody, you know, everybody goes through stuff, but you don't know what stuff is going to trigger you or what direction it's going to take you. Yep. Man. So what are you doing now? So now, man, I'm a, I've got to build a life for me that works. I can't do the cubicle thing. I can't sit at a desk and do the cubicle thing. I'm just drives me nuts, drives me insane. And um, so I've had to just really take a step back for the last couple of years and just slow down. And I'm fortunate to be able to have the, the time and the resources to do that. Really working on my on myself, my mental health, my physical health. Um, and now I'm doing life coaching. Uh, started started life coaching business, and uh, it's it's, kinda, it's been great for me to be able to take all this stuff that I've been able to learn, listen to other people, and go, hey, have you looked at it from this perspective? Hey, I, you said this. Have, maybe consider looking at it like this. And uh, so um, between that and then sp speaking, I did public speaking for several years ago. Um, I've won uh, some awards for Toastmasters. Toastmasters is, is a, you know, a worldwide or organization. They flew me out to, to Orange County several years ago, put me on the cover of Toastmasters magazine with my story. And uh, that was really good. It goes to like 130 countries around the world. And so I was really honored to get to do that. But uh, um, uh, back through my relapses and my divorce and stuff, I, I got out of speaking. I you know just needed to work on myself. And, and so um, looking for opportunities to do some more public speaking as well. Um, so if you know of anybody looking for a speaker, let me know. <laughs> I could be searching. And a lot of the messages is, is again around, around mental health and, and really connection. So the root cause of addiction um, to boil down mental health and addiction, the root cause of these issues uh, can be traced back to disconnection. And a lot of it's uh, loneliness, you know, really disconnection from from other people, from nature, from meaningful work. So there's scientifically proven reasons for anxiety and depression that I talk about. And these are some of them, um, you know, meaningful work uh, and then lonely you know, other people. And I, I think we get this. I, I know I do. I get this fake feeling that I'm connected all the time. I'm connected. I'm connected to the world all the time. 
well, this is ruining so many people's lives. It's saying we feel like we're connected, but it's this digital fake connection and it's not real human interaction. And so if you're struggling out there with anxiety, depression, mental health issues, I encourage you to get with a therapist. Call me if you need, you know, if you, if you need some coaching, uh, get in with a pastor, get in with a support group. What's, here's, here's a great analogy I like to make is we're all part of support groups right now. And I thought going to a 12 step support group meant I was less than. And it's really like one of the greatest fraternities in the world is people going and working on themselves on a consistent basis. Like, yeah, I want to be a part of that thing. Um, so I encourage people to uh, you're already a part of a support group where there's somebody that supports gossip. What it, if your thing is gossip and you like to talk behind other people's back and because you don't want to look at your own stuff, you know, and you have a gossip support group and that's a support group for you. If you got drinking buddies or you got your, you know, watching sports buddies. But are they really adding to your life? Are they really caring about what's going on in your life today as opposed to talking about the old stories from the good old days? Hey, remember that time we went out and partied and da, da, da. It's like, you know, I want people around me that are going to challenge me today to keep yeah. me forward and not just talking about the past. Yeah, that's that's a, a just a fantastic message. Yeah, because you're right. We're all part of different groups. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to, you know, still be friends with my fraternity brothers and from 40 years ago. We've evolved, you know, yeah, we still tell some of the old stories, but now, I mean, we've taken each other through, you know, some, some difficult times, health, you know, kids health, you know, marriage yeah. that didn't, didn't work out, stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, those groups just evolved with you if they're healthy and, and, you know, I'm blessed to be in one of those healthy groups and I hope well, you are. And I applaud you for putting in the effort. You know, it takes effort to have a relationship with a, yeah. with a group, not just with one other person, but especially with a group. Like it takes time and effort. Like, yeah, I can spend time texting and, and I can spend time on social media all day long. But uh, am I putting in that kind of effort into a real relationship with accountability partners? I call them. I've got, I've got my sponsor uh, for my 12 step sponsor stuff. And I've got accountability partners. I got three or four other guys outside of him. So I've got a couple layers of people that when, you know, when stuff isn't going right, I pick up the phone and make a phone call. And, uh, you know, you don't, I don't need 3000 friends on Facebook. I need like three or four good buddies in person, you know, that I pick up the phone. And, and one of my good buddies I still talk to lives in Waco. He's a Baylor grad, fraternity oh, brother. Of mine. Okay. And, and uh, we just talked a couple of days ago. Yeah. Very so, cool. Very cool. Well, John, you know, how, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, go to John Mabry Connects. John Mabry Connects on Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. Uh, I'm not really doing the Twitter thing, but uh, go to John <laughs> Mabry Connects if uh, if you want to see some. And so, yeah, I'm putting out you know positive, inspirational content. Yeah, you are. Stuff. Yeah, you sure are. So just little kind of tidbits uh, and you know help you get through life, help you get through the day, kind of thing. Things that I've picked yeah. up along the way. So uh, you know, feel free to check me out if uh, if you feel called to. Man, that sounds great, John. It has been just a blast having you on. Your story is so inspirational. You know, your message just resonates with so many different people. I appreciate you being here with me on I Don't Care today. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's an honor and uh, keep up the great work. Well, thanks. Well, you know, guys, here we go. You know, just another, uh, I'm going to say this was a pretty great episode of I Don't Care. You know, uh, having John on and being so open with his story that, you know, that a lot of people just, they they brush under the rug because they don't want other people knowing their stuff. But, yeah, you know, guys, there's freedom. There's freedom and yeah. in vulnerability. When you when you say that you're vulnerable, when you're vulnerable, allow yourself to be vulnerable. You send a message to the world that that uh, you know you're not okay, and if somebody else goes, oh, I can relate to that person. They're not perfect. Uh, so there's power in vulnerability, guys. So so reach out for help today. 
Awesome. That's a good way to end it. Folks, thanks for being with me. We'll see you next week. Take care.